following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. is taken from the Gospel of Mark, beginning at chapter 1, verse 14, and it can be found on page 1002 of the Church Bibles. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were so all all so amazed that they asked each other, Who is this? What is this? A new teaching, and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. May the words that I speak the way in which each of us hears the voice of God and know how he calls us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this is a passage of the Bible in which four people become followers. Uh, It's that simple, isn't it, that Jesus says, follow me, and Simon and Andrew and James and John get up and respond. Uh, The fishing boat four, as I'm going to call them during this sermon, uh, they get up and walk along the shore of Galilee. And uh, what I'd like you to imagine is is the sort of final scene of the the short film of this, where all you have left is the camera panning down onto the ground. I can't do this, can I? Because I can't move away from this mic. I'm used to moving about. Uh, But just imagine the camera panning down onto the side of the lake, and there is a net which has been left behind. It is the relic of what has happened during this encounter with Jesus. 
And what I'd like us to think about is what it was like for them and compare it with what it's like for us. Is there anyone here uh, this morning who catches fish for a living? I was expecting to see no hands up on that, but I wasn't quite sure. It's not a familiar experience for me, uh, although I do get a a visit once a week from somebody who brings me freshly caught fish from the Newcastle Fish Key, so I'm that connected with fishing. These four people knew Jesus face to face. Um, We don't have that privilege of being able to see him and touch him. It it was a different experience for them. Uh, And there's a gulf between them and all Christians of future ages, which is simply that they were there at the time. But I want to suggest that in the 21st century, there's possibly an even bigger gulf because we've acquired a whole new dimension to what we mean by people being followers. Here's a quick quiz. There's just two questions in this, and the first question is this. On Twitter, who has the largest number of followers? On Twitter, who has the largest number of followers? Do you want to offer me an answer? This may not be the ideal audience for this question, I suspect, but... What? David Beckham? Good guess, but wrong. Pardon? Even better guess. He does come in the top 20, but he's not at the top. Didn't catch that one? Justin Bieber is very high, but he's not the top. I was quite surprised at this. The answer is Barack Obama. He has more than 111 million followers on Twitter, even more than Justin Bieber. Um, Can you think what sort of figure that is? 111 million followers on Twitter. Um, And in fact, President Trump sent out more tweets than Barack Obama, three times as many, um, but uh, Obama has nearly twice as many followers. So that, that's just giving you a sort of size of, the, size of the scale. If, like me, you don't follow anybody on Twitter, this may be a piece of information you need to know. Question two. What does it mean on Instagram if you have a follower-to-following ratio of around 10? Shall I just repeat the question for you, because you may not have caught every part of that? What does it mean, what's the significance, if on Instagram you have a follower-to-following ratio of around 10? (laughs) There's there's a gentleman on the front saying, what's Instagram? I have to say that before doing the research on this, I didn't understand a single word in the question that I've just asked you here. Anybody want to volunteer an answer? That, that is certainly correct. Well, the, the, the plain maths of that means that you have ten times as many followers as people that you follow on Instagram. But what's the significance of that? The significance is that you are a micro-celebrity and that you're well on your way to becoming an influencer. Yeah? Uh, I think I understand what that means. What's also interesting is that there are no politicians amongst the 20 most uh, most highly, uh, sorry, what, what, what am I looking for? The, the most followed Instagram accounts. Um, Obama and Trump both come on Twitter, but they don't figure anywhere on Instagram. I guess that's because on Instagram, the words are just a decoration in most people's mind for the pictures, and most politicians are not particularly young or good looking. Um, if nothing I've said for the past five minutes meant anything to you, don't worry, I got this all off the internet. But uh, it's this idea of following now, which is becoming a whole new world for at least some people amongst us, uh, and following then. 
and sitting checking your phone is a long way away from walking along the shores of Galilee. But I want to ask the question really, is there anything in common between that um, and what we're talking about in following Jesus 2,000 years ago or now? And I think there are two things, uh, at least, which are universal about following, being a follower. The first is this, is that it has to start with a decision. Oh, I'm going to start following this person. Click. You have to do something. And it's exactly the same with Jesus. The fishing boat four here. Are you going to put these nets down and come with me? Click. You do something. It's a decision. If you were to ask Simon the next day, um, are you a follower of Jesus? He's not going to say, oh, well, I don't know, really. He knows that there was a turning point that he actually did something. And of course, people nowadays begin following Jesus in all sorts of different sorts of ways. It might be that you begin following Jesus as you're walking beside a lake, but it might be in a church service, might be in your own bedroom, it might be recovering from accident, all sorts of different circumstances which are nothing like first century Galilee. There's no set formula, but it has to start with a decision. You can't be a follower by accident. That's the first thing. I I suggest that the second thing, which is true about following in any circumstance, is that it's a group thing. On social media, uh, it's not much fun having just one follower, having just one name on that list, especially if it's your own name. (laughs) Uh, And if you're the only follower, it feels pretty lonely. That's not really somebody you want to follow any longer because you want to be part of a group that's worth belonging to. Perhaps you want to be part of a bunch that's capable of changing the world in some way. And it's exactly the same with Jesus. In in, in this story that we just read here, in one scoop, Jesus manages to create a fledgling mission team. He knew that these people, this fishing boat four, were going to be able to work together. There were family ties. It's two sets of brothers. There's a common experience. They're all fishermen. It's a natural start for something that's going to become a movement. And it's exactly the same today. Being a follower of Jesus is not a solo activity. It's not something you just do by yourself. You do it with companions who will encourage you along the way. You do it with people who will share the load for you if things start to get tough. And I guess many people here amongst you will have a story that goes something like this. I would not have kept following Jesus without fellow Christians who prayed with me, who listened to me when I needed some support, who inspired me, who let me have a go at doing something alongside them. It's being part of other people that was important. Is that right? I think I can see some nodded heads there. So being a follower is a group thing, uh, whether you're on the internet uh, or whether you're a Christian, or both. At its best, it seems to me that following others on social media or or gaining a following can be a real influence for good. Think Greta Thunberg, uh, who apparently has more than 4 million followers on Twitter, and yet until the middle of 2018, nobody had heard of her. One commentator has said this about Greta Thunberg. Thunberg knows exactly how to grasp people's attention and use her viral moments, I like that phrase, use her viral moments to spread her incredibly important message. Well, it's worked. I've heard of her, and I'm nearly 70. 
which has generated a lot of action calling for serious effort on climate change, uh, and in her case, gaining a following has obviously had quite a considerable impact. But simply following people on social media seems to me can be worryingly passive. All it means actually is that you automatically receive something that other people have posted. You might never read it. You might just add more to your pile of trivial information. You might never get out of your chair and do anything about it. And it's worth remembering that Greta Thunberg started by sitting outside the Swedish parliament buildings with placards. It's not all just about Twitter. But there's a following there. And I want us to look now at what Mark's Gospel tells us about Jesus because we see everything that you might want to commend about climate change activism, but we see more. There's a, there's, a, there's a nice big poster at the back there. Have you seen this thing that says in, in uh, uh, yellow on red there, Jesus Revolution? I think that's a good, it's a good for our sermon series there as a title. Jesus' movement is anything but passive. It's anything but trivial. And yet it's not built on protest. And I'd like you to notice four things, there are probably more things that we can see, but four things that come out of the story that we've got in front of us. Firstly, the Jesus Revolution is built on strong personal relationship. Built on strong personal relationship. It's not obvious from Mark's Gospel, but the fishing boat four already know Jesus when this incident happens. You need to read John's Gospel to get the backstory for this. Um, but they've already recognized Jesus as an important teacher at a point where he was a complete unknown. That's already happened. They already know that he can do powerful things. They've seen him change water into wine. They're already on side before John the Baptist is put in prison. Mark just doesn't record that stuff for us. And so it seems to me that what they must see happening here is much more like a starting gun for a new sort of action, not the first meeting with Jesus. It's not simply a case of a man coming along and saying, will you follow me? And they say, oh yeah, all right. <laughs> There's some relationship there already. Jesus is saying, you're already with me, now it's time to gather others in, and the net is the ideal picture of what it would be like to gather others in. You're fishermen, you know what it's like. And these four people are saying, we've already seen what authority this man has, we already trust him, if he's leading the way, yeah, we'll follow. It's built on a strong personal relationship. But Jesus' movement is also about face-to-face -face encounter. So... Here's this man in a synagogue at Capernaum, uh, and, and in, in the language of social media, he's a sort of troll. He's shouting abuse at Jesus. You just want to shut us down, Jesus, would be a paraphrase of what this man says. So what, Jesus, what does Jesus do? He says, oh, I'll get this account deleted. Uh, no, what he actually says is, I see a person who needs the liberating power of God in his life here. He says to the demon, leave him alone, and then there's a whole lot of dramatic business about this man writhing on the floor and shouting out. But if you can imagine the final scene here, there is a man in his right mind looking at Jesus, Jesus is looking at him, and this man has been freed from the grip of an evil force. And perhaps for the first time, as this man looks out at another human being, he's looking at love and recognizing it. What a strange experience that must be if you've just seen everything else as menace for so long. 
If we then read on in the rest of Mark's Gospel, there are many more encounters with Jesus, but they're all face-to-face encounters. So those are a couple of things about the way that Jesus works, about the way this movement or Jesus' revolution has its being. But there are also two things worth noticing about the way that Jesus invites these people to join in. When Jesus says, follow me, I want to suggest that it's an invitation to see what's possible. Do you see what I mean? An invitation to see what's possible. The fishing boat four, I bet your bottom dollar, have never seen anything like this happen in a synagogue before. Synagogue worship was probably as relatively free of dramatic happenings as most churches' services are nowadays in this country. And they're sitting themselves saying to themselves, wow, (laughs) do we believe what's just happened there? The whole world does not have to be about shouting. The whole world does not have to be about madness. Somehow this man can do something about that. Disturbed people can be made whole. And as we read on, we see more encounters, and the fishing boat four are going to see a lot more about what happens when the kingdom of God comes near in the person of Jesus. Follow me, see what's possible. I wonder whether you can remember if when you first started following Jesus, that there were those moments where you started discovering what was possible that you hadn't previously realized. Cast your mind back. Maybe you saw some sort of some mixed-up person whose life was transformed in some way or other. Maybe you saw somebody healed as a result of prayer. Maybe um, you had a friend who could have earned a huge salary because they were so capable, but actually decided to work for a charity and earn peanuts instead because that was important in following Jesus. Or other ways in which people's lives were changed. But you started to realize that you're now part of something revolutionary because you started to see what was possible when the power of Jesus comes into people's lives. But it's not just that. Follow me is certainly about seeing what's possible, but it's also an invitation to be part of the action. The fishing boat four may not realize this yet, but they're soon going to be doing the same sorts of things as they're seeing Jesus do. And the way that Jesus seems to work is to say to his followers, uh, watch me, then copy me. I do it this way, you do it that way now. Read on and they're going to be sent out in pairs, they're going to be doing mission, and they're probably scared stiff at the moment that Jesus says, right, you go off and do the same stuff. But even without Jesus physically present with them, the same sorts of things happen. Healings, Casting out demons, people receiving forgiveness, people repenting and changing the direction of their lives. This is hands-on live stuff. It's not just reading a blog. Jesus is saying, follow me, do what I do, go where people are, see what God can do through you. Somebody I know recently wrote these words to a Christian teacher, somebody that had taught them years, but this was written years after leaving school. Thank you for drawing something out of a painfully shy and underconfident child. You trusted me with responsibility. I felt safe in the knowledge that someone competent and forgiving was in overall charge, 
and God was asking nothing more of me than that I have a go. It was a thrilling experience. That teacher, like Jesus, had managed to give an invitation to be part of the action of God's kingdom. Strong personal relationship, face-to-face encounter, seeing what's possible, being part of the action. That's how the Jesus revolution was happening by the shores of Galilee, and it's the same way in which it happens today. And I want to leave you with three questions which I think are, are good ones for all of us to be pondering as we look into the start of a new year. The first one is this. Have I decided to follow Jesus? That's not the same question as, do I come to church? It's not the same question as, do I trust God? Nor is it even the same question as, uh, do I believe that Jesus has died for my sins? Those are all good things to believe, uh, but following Jesus actually means more than any of those things. It means I've decided to live my life for him. It means I'm willing to do the things that he asks me to do. And it starts with an actual decision. I want you to show me what's possible, Jesus. I want you to help me be part of the action. Have I decided to follow Jesus? And maybe it would be good to think about what you might need to put down. Maybe there's something that you do very capable do very capably um, but it's something that God says you can stop that now I can turn that into something else which is even more powerful for the kingdom of God I've prepared you for doing this I'm putting in other words uh, what's your fishing net if you have decided to follow Jesus then a a second question which again I think is a good one to think about is am I following single mindedly I wonder if somebody asked you are you a follower of Jesus whether the honest answer would be well actually I'm following 473 people but he's one of them that's not single mindedness it's good to follow Jesus but single mindedness is what he's after I was listening to the radio of my breakfast this morning and there was a, a striking testimony from a man who had um, lost his family, he'd lost his job, he lost his house because of gambling addiction. Um, but the thing that brought him to his senses was recognizing what he was doing to his little boy, four-year-old child who he was neglecting. And what it did was to, dr- to draw him back to following Jesus, which he had done once, but which he had let drift. And it was remarkable to hear this man speaking after such disaster had struck him, saying, I started reading my Bible again, I started praying again. Uh, Here was somebody who had recovered from not following Jesus single-mindedly. And I think I need to keep asking that question. The older I get, the less energy I have, perhaps the more likely I am not to be following as single-mindedly as I once was. And the third and final question is, am I praying for God to fill me with his spirit? Uh, And I think I'm picking on something that was said last week. I wasn't here, but I've I've heard some interesting stuff, and we're going to have a testimony about what happened last week later on in the service. I guess that the idea of following Jesus single-mindedly can sound quite tough, 
But it's interesting to notice that Jesus never says to anybody in the Gospels, try harder. His answer is never try harder. What he says is, my burden is easy. Come to me and I will give you rest. Trying harder is not the answer, but perhaps like the candle that would not light in last week's service, um, it is something more like saying, I hear the voice of Jesus saying, let me light your fire again. Let me fill you again with my spirit. You once had some sparkle and fire about you. I can do that again. So there's three questions. Have I decided to follow Jesus? Is it single-minded? Am I praying for God to fill me with his spirit? And there may be something in there that's important for you to respond to. It's a, good, it's a new year, it's a good time to seek God with all your heart. And it's a good time to listen to the words, follow me. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St. Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St. Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.